We appreciate very much the presence of each one here this evening. We'd like to welcome you to this Assembly of the Lord's House. I'm very happy to be able to be here, and I appreciate another opportunity to be your speaker. Tonight for our study, we're going to take the Apostle Paul's advice. You remember Paul said one time, uh, those things written aforetime were written for our learning. Well, we're going to look at an Old Testament example written aforetime, and we're going to learn from it this evening because it contains a great story. Now, this story is probably familiar to most of y'all, and that's why it makes a good lesson. We're going to be talking about a fellow over in 2 Kings chapter 5. If you like to follow along, that's where the basis of our study is going to be found. We're going to talk about Naaman the leper. As I said, this is probably something you're familiar with. Let me read verse 1 of chapter 5 of 2 Kings for an introduction. The Bible says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And that's a title which we're going to use here tonight for our, our study. I'd like to notice this very first verse because it tells me a lot about our main character tonight. I want to introduce you to Captain Naaman, if I might, and let you know a little about him because he is a great man. And I find out that he has a great opportunity um, to be able to cl be cleansed from this terrible disease of leprosy which he has. Notice there, if you will, in 2 Kings 5, verse 1, the Bible says that Naaman is a great man. You know what that tells me? Naaman's not some never-do-well picked up out here by the side of the road. He is an important person. And we're soon going to find out exactly how come he's considered to be important. The Bible says that he is captain of the host of the king of Syria. Now, back in Old Testament times, a, cap a captain was more like we'd consider a general this day and age. This man, Naaman, this man we've already noticed is a great man because he's a captain over the host of Syria. Now, at this time, Syria was a big, powerful country. And Captain Naaman is the general or the man in charge of the armed forces. See how important he is already? But look a little bit further. There's more about him that we can learn. The Bible says he is honorable. I'm really glad it says that. Naaman's honorable. You know what honorable means? It means deserving of honor or respect. This is the kind of person you'd like to have for your next-door neighbor. This is the type of person who takes care of his family. This is a person who is a, a good neighbor in every way. He is honorable. Look a little further. Because this, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor. You know what that tells me? That, again, causes me to appreciate Captain Naaman. He's not the type of person that sent his soldiers into war. He led them. He was a man of valor. Valor, valor simply means he was brave and he is courageous. And then that last phrase throws a pall over the whole idea. All of these things which he is, the Bible talks about. And then right at the last it says, but he was a leper. Now I need to tell you a little something about leprosy. Back in Bible days, leprosy was a horrendous disease. I understand that there's cures for leprosy nowadays. But back in the Bible days, back in, in Naaman's day, if you had leprosy, it was a, a, a slow sentence to death. 
Leprosy, as I understand it, started on some small part of the body, oftentimes the tips of the fingers or the tip of your ears or the tip of your nose. And the best way I can describe it, it just sort of erased the person. Before long, he is ashen gray. Uh, it's obvious that he has leprosy. It eats your nose off. It eats your ears off. And usually you didn't die from the leprosy itself. You, let, you died from some secondary infection that set in. It was slow. It was agonizing. It was nothing to look forward to whatsoever. But that's not all. To have leprosy made you an outcast to the rest of society. If you had leprosy, you were put outside the gates of the city. And I read some terrible stories about uh, groups of lepers that roamed around outside of the city in hopes that there was somebody cared enough about them to bring them something to eat. Leprosy, if you had that disease and you saw somebody coming down the road to meet you, you had to start hollering, leper, leper, leper. You had to let them know so they could avoid you. Now, can you think about something like that? And here's the thing about it all. Naaman is a very important person. But you know, here's our first lesson as far as this is concerned. It does not make any difference that Naaman was great and honorable and brave and all those other things. He has a disease which is common to beggars by the wayside. He has a disease anybody could have. And I find that's something uh, that allows us to have our first point. The disease of sin is sort of like leprosy. Uh, sin is a, uh, a spiritual ailment, while leprosy is a physical ailment. But sin is something which starts small, usually, and if it's allowed to go unchecked, it'll consume you. Sin is something which can totally cause you uh, to become alien in the sight of God. Sin is something that is common to all people. The Bible says in Romans 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, I want to make that personal to you. If you're sitting here in our audience tonight and you haven't done anything about your sins, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Who's that? That's you. That's me. That's all of us. We are afflicted with disease at sin at some time in our lives. When we gain a knowledge of what's right and what's wrong, man commits sin. And I find that's something, again, that's horrendous, even worse than physical leprosy because the death that sin brings is everlasting. So you see, this is something which, again, is no respecter of persons whatsoever. Everybody has it. Now, here's the sad part of this. I see people on a regular basis. I suspect there's somebody here like this tonight, that you're a good person. Uh, you're a good moral person. You're a good ethical person. You're deserving of respect or honor. And sometimes people think that's all they have to have in order to be saved. That's not the case. Morals and upright life by itself will not save you from the disease of sin. I find that this is something that Jesus talks about, and I'm going to read it to you. Matter of fact, I'm going to take this a step further, and I'm going to draw it. Are you ready for that? Well, don't get too excited because you're not going to be happy, uh, too happy with this. Uh, it's found in the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew. Here we find Jesus is speaking, and I'm going to read there beginning at verse uh, 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven. Now, I need to stop there just for a minute. The kingdom of heaven. You know what the kingdom of heaven is? Jesus said in Matthew 16, down at verse 18, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give unto you the keys 
to the kingdom of heaven. The word church and the word kingdom of heaven are used interchangeably. Now there is some difference in them. And again, I think it's necessary to point this out. Look here if you will. See this smaller circle right there? We'll say that represents heaven. See this larger circle down here? We'll say that's the earth. Now the Lord's kingdom is all of heaven plus his people on the earth. You know who God's people are on the earth? They're the church. The church. So when Jesus said he's going to build his kingdom or, or build his church, he in, in, uh, indicated the idea his kingdom's going to come into existence. So when the Bible says church or kingdom, they're used interchangeably. The kingdom is bigger because it includes all in heaven. So keep that in mind as we go along. We're going to find out something about this. I'm going to continue to read a little bit. And we'll see something else about it. Going on, as I said, at verse 47 of Matthew 13, Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a net that was cast into the sea, and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew it to shore, and sat down, and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, then we got all this figured out and I said I was going to draw it so um, here's the way what he's saying the parable is this the kingdom of heaven or the Lord's church is likened to a net that was cast into the sea now I know we got some fishermen in the audience and I imagine you know what I'm about to tell you down in Oklahoma we use a net to catch bait sometimes and the net that we use is a round net made out of nylon and around the outside edge of it are little lead weights. And in the middle of it, there's a stronger nylon string. And you tie this around your wrist. And you wait till a little school of these minnows come along. And you pitch the net over them. The string keeps you from throwing your net away. And it drops down around the fish. You pull them out into the boat or over on the land. You pick out the ones you want. And you throw the rest back. Now you got that picture? The kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea. Here it is now, get ready. There's the surface of the sea. Here's the net. The church are the kingdom of heaven. Uh, it is cast into the sea. He says it gathers in of every kind. Now you know what every kind is? Well you will when the judgment comes. He says the good are saved, the bad are thrown away. So this uh, net gathers in every kind. In other words, there's some good fish in the net. That's a good fish. And you're looking at him head on. There's some good fish in the net. But you know what else? And I hate to tell you this. There's some bad fish in the net. There's some bad fish in the Lord's church. What is he going to do in judgment? He's going to save the good ones and cast the bad into punishment. But do you know what? Did you ever think about the rest of the lake? How about the rest of the lake? Out there in the rest of the lake, there are hundreds and hundreds more bad ones. They're just going around in every direction. But do you know what else? Out there in the rest of the lake, there are some just as good as the ones in the net just as good as far as their morals are concerned, as far as their up life, uh, upright life is concerned. Uh, they're just as good as the ones in the net. But they can't be saved. 
You see why they can't be saved? Because they're not in the net. That's why. If you want to be saved, you've got to get in the net. You know, it's sort of a cool thing, and I had a couple tell me this the other day. We're not, a, we're, we're not part of any organized religion. Well, if you want to be saved, you've got to be part of organized religion. In Acts 2, verse 47, the Bible says, Praising God and having faith with all the people. Look now. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Where are the saved? The saved are in the church. That's where the saved are. So if you want to be saved, you've got to be part of the church. All right, let's go a little bit further. Uh, we see the necessity now of uh, living uh, the type of life that the Lord would have us to live. Um, let's find out what happens to Naaman. Sometime or another, Naaman uh, captures a little Israelite maiden. And he takes this little girl home to become his wife's handmaiden. And one day this little handmaiden told Naaman's wife, you know, there's a man down in Israel who can cure your husband of leprosy. She's thrilled to death. Uh, Naaman's wife runs in and he she tells Naaman, my handmaiden says there's somebody down in Israel who can cure you. Naaman's thrilled too. He goes to the king of Syria and he tells the king of Syria, my wife's handmaiden says there's somebody down in Israel who can cure me. The king of Syria is excited too. So you, back in that day and time, now you have to understand they didn't have television, telephone, and, and telegraph, and telewoman, and all those other ways of communication. They sent runners. So they sent a runner from Syria down to Israel. And the runner came down there, but he's made a little mistake. Uh, he goes to the king of Israel. I love the way the Bible writes things. And he tells the king of Israel, we're sending Naaman a main man in Syria, and we want you to cure him from leprosy. Now here's the part that I like about the Bible. It says uh, that uh, the king of, of, of Israel is not a little bit upset. He's a whole lot upset. He is so upset he tears his clothes off of himself. And he says, who does he think I am? Does he think I'm God that I can give life or take life? He said, I know what the king of Syria is trying to do. They want to pick a fight with us. Well, finally, this gets noised around, and there is a man in Israel. There's a prophet of God down there in Israel, and we find out as a result of this, Naaman is going to hear from God by way of this prophet. And we find out that the prophet, uh, finally, Naaman and all his entourage, they pulled up in front of the prophet Elisha's house. Now, things are going to go down here for a while. You know, Elisha doesn't even get up and go out see, outside to see this man. I mean, this is a big shot from Syria. This is the biggest shot as far as the army is concerned. He doesn't even get up and go see him. Instead, he sends his servant out there. Now, I'll tell you about uh, social ranking back in that day and time. A prophet's servant was as about as low on the totem pole as you can get. Uh, he sends his servant out to see this important man. What does this man tell him? He gives Naaman what we would call a conditional pr uh, promise. He says, listen, here's what you need to do. Now this came from God, you know, because it came by way of, a, of Elisha. He says, you go down to the Jordan River. Now the Jordan River is no problem. That's a historical river since the beginning of time. Go down to the Jordan River, okay? You dip yourself. Now dip means literally to duck or to plunge. Dip yourself. 
Seven times. There it is. There are the conditions. You go to Jordan, dip yourself seven times, and you'll be clean. Now look here. What do you want, Naaman? Well, he wants to be clean. Is that possible for him to be clean? It most surely is. What does he have to do to get clean? Go down to Jordan, dip himself seven times, and you will be clean. But I have to ask you this question before I leave this. Until Damon does this, what will he be? He'll be a leper. He'll be a leper until he meets these conditions. You know, friends, that we also have a conditional promise. The conditional promise which we have is sort of like this in a way. It is the idea that you and I can be rid of our sin. And I'm going to put this over on this side, and I hope everybody can see it. I'm going to draw a line just like I did there, and we're going to put the idea of clean right there. Now, you want to be clean from your sins? Well, I'm happy to tell you, you can be. You can be clean from your sins. What do you have to do? You have to listen to God, just like Naaman had to listen to God. So let's begin, and let's do that. I'm going to John chapter 3, verse 16. Here the Bible tells us, by the way, this is probably the most popular verse in the United States. You see John 3:16 written on sides of highways and baseball stadiums and uh, silos and but I had a lot of I've had a lot of things interesting things with John 3 verse 16 and I want to tell you one of them had a young college boy downtown one time and we were studying and I was trying to teach him what he needed to do to be saved and we'd gone along and I got to John 3 16 and uh, we started in with it and he said hold it hold it hold it hold it hold it John 3.16, that's my most favorite verse. He said, I've been quoting John 16 since I was six years old. I can quote it. I said, go ahead. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I said, well, you may have been doing that since you were six years old, but that's not what it says. You misquoted it. He said, I did not. I said, yes, you did. He said, I'll do, I'll do it again. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I said, that's two out of two. You've messed it up. He said, what are you talking about? I said, that's not what John 3.16 says. He said, what does it say? I said, it says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should. Look in your Bible if you wonder. Should not perish. And let me tell you folks, there's a difference in heaven and hell and shall not and should not. And I would say this to you, if you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you should not perish. But that does not mean that you cannot perish or will not perish because salvation by faith only is not a scriptural doctrine. And it's exactly what he says right here. If you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you should not perish. And the young man said, my Bible says what I said. I said, you got your Bible? Yeah. I said, well, go get it. It's out in the car. He went out the car and, you know, there's so many of these, uh, I, don't, I don't know a good word. There is no good word. All these Bibles that they're putting out nowadays, uh, Good News for Modern Man, the book, and all those, those are not translations. I hope you understand. 
Those are paraphrases of the Bible. You could do one yourself. You just take the Bible and read what the Bible says in a faithful translation like King James, and you write it in your own words. You can make it mean anything you want to. And that's what we're dealing with now in a lot of cases. I didn't know what kind of Bible he might have. So he got it. And he's walking back up to my porch. And he's reading. And he walked up and he stepped across my um, threshold. And he said, why has nobody ever told, told me that? Why I've never been, I've never been told that. It does say, if you believe in Jesus, you should not perish. I said, yeah, that's what it means. He sa I said, the reason you've never been told that is 99% of the denominational world that claims to be Christian uh, does not believe there's anything else necessary except to believe salvation by faith only. And the Bible does not teach that. Well, we went ahead and had our study, and he obeyed the gospel and he was baptized for the remission of his sins. Now I want to make this personal to you again. You, you may have been baptized. I have a lot of people come around and tell me they were baptized. If you were baptized in a denominational baptism, the, the chances are very good, most likely, that you were not baptized for the remission of sins. You were not, because they don't see any necessity in it. I want to ask you two questions, and how you answer these two questions will tell you whether or not you were baptized for the mission of sins. Number one, if you thought you were saved before you were baptized, you were not baptized for the mission of sins. Number two, if they put your baptism off until once a year when they baptized everybody that wanted to be or uh, to the end of the month or waited till Christmas or Easter. You weren't baptized for the mission of sins. If you notice the timeline in the book of Acts, they were baptized straightway. You know what that means? Immediately. They were baptized the same hour of the night. Right then. Do you know why? Because they know you weren't saved until you obeyed the gospel and were baptized for the mission of sins. That's what you need to do. And if, that hadn't, if you haven't done that, you need to be baptized for the remission of sins if you want to be saved. I find that this is something, again, that you need to be concerned about. Let's, let's go again. Uh, we see that baptism, or that belief by itself won't save you, so let's do something else. i tell you what let's do now. Let's repent. In Acts, uh, the third chapter, down to verse 19, uh, the Bible says, Repent you therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out in the time of refreshing. What do you do? Repent. Will repent take your sins away? You're paying attention now to the little words, aren't you? I can tell you are. What do you do? You repent. What happens? Your sin may be blotted out. They may be blotted out. Does repentance take your sin away? No. It prepares you so that they may be blotted out. I'm not quitting there. Uh, that's too quick. Let's do it again. Romans 10 and verse 10 he says, With a heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made. What do you reckon it says? Unto salvation. Will confession save you? No. It'll bring you unto salvation. 
You know what the little word unto means? It means to draw nigh to. Just like tonight when you walked up out uh, back there at that door and you reached over and got the doorknob in your hand, you're unto this building. Not in here, but you're ready to take the next step to put you in. So you see, you can believe you should not perish. You can repent that your sins may be blotted out. You can confess and be unto salvation. What's wrong? We still have our sins. You cannot believe your sins away. You cannot repent your sins away. You cannot confess your sins away. What can you do about your sins? Well, the Bible is replete with that answer. As a matter of fact, the answer I'm about to give you is the only answer that's mentioned every time in a conversion. Now, they may not mention these other three because you might have already done them. But it always mentions the one I'm about to write up here because this is the one that nobody has done. What does it say? Acts 22, verse 16, he says, Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Look at here. Is baptism more important than these others? No, it's no more important. But it is equally important. This is a step that puts us in. Galatians 3.27, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There it is. Again, 1 Peter 3, verse 21. In a like figure, baptism does also now save us. Not to put in way of the filth of the flesh, not a bath, but the answer of a good conscience toward God with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see there? We have to be baptized to wash our sins away. We have to be baptized to be saved. I want to ask you the question. Until a person does this, what will he be? He'll be a sinner. He'll be a sinner. Let's go back to Naaman. What do y'all reckon Naaman did when he heard what he was going to have to do? Well, I'm going to read on there in 1 Kings. We get down to verse, or 2 Kings it is. Down to chapter 5, I'm going to read on down to verse 11. Notice. But Naaman was wroth and went away. And said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. What is wrong with that man? He's mad. He hears what he's supposed to do uh, from the prophet of God. Is he glad? No, he's mad. And the more he thinks about it, the madder he gets. Now, isn't that silly? That's silly, isn't it? But you know, I've seen people get mad at the word of God. I've seen them act just like Naaman right here, but I have to ask you the question. When Naaman went away, how did he go away? He went away just a mad leper. He's worse now than he was when he got there. When he got there, he's physically torn up. Now he's also mentally torn up. He just went away. Now, people get angry at the Word of God. There's a story in the seventh chapter of the book of Acts about a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen goes down to a bunch of Jews. He calls them stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. And you know what that bunch of Jews did? They stoned Stephen to death. Now, the fact that you destroy what tells you the truth, does that change the truth? What, if y'all, what would y'all think about me? <clears throat> I'm always having a little weight trouble. No, it's true. I'm always having a little weight trouble. Suppose I get home, and we got a scale laying in the bathroom on the floor, and I walk in there, <clears throat> and I step up on that scale. 
and I look down there and the hand flips around about twice and a little sign comes up and says, one at a time please. And I jump off the scale and I grab it up off the floor and slam it into the floor. And the cogs and the hands just go every way. Will that make my coat fit better? Will that give me a little slack in my pants? No. Doesn't change anything, does it? The fact that I destroy what tells me the truth does not change the truth. You got that in your mind? We're going to have more in a few minutes, and you're going to need to remember that. Uh, the fact that you attempt to change the truth does not change the truth at all. Uh, I'm going to tell you another, this is the illustration, and a lot of preachers use this illustration, but I know the real story. Uh, several years ago, there's a little old woman bought her a house down in Fort Worth. She bought a house right across the street from the church building. And because the church building was handy, she just started going over there to church. Well, it wasn't long till our brethren just took up with her. She's a sweet little old lady. Uh, they, uh, all of them loved her, but they found out they had a trouble with her. She did not believe that she needed to be baptized in order to be saved. Over the years, they tried to teach her. Uh, one day, the couple of the brethren were talking. They said, you know, Annie, Granny, or whatever they called her, they said, she's not getting any younger. Said, we need to try one more time to see if we could cause her to see the need for baptism. So they agreed they'd do that. They'd do that the next Lord's Day. They picked two of the brethren that was going to carry this out. And so after services the next Lord's Day, these two brethren, they walked Andy across the street. Oh, she was thrilled, thrilled with the attention. They walked her up on the porch, and she's tickled to death. She invited them in. Yeah, they went in. Everybody sat down. She got them all a cup of coffee, and she's enjoying their company so well. And finally, they got their courage up, and one of the brethren said, um, You know, Annie, you're not getting any younger, and we all love you over there. But you know, you need to be baptized for the mission of sins. And we're here to teach you to be baptized for the mission of sins. They said, you know, Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Immediately she said, nope, that's not in my Bible. And they just started through. Acts 2, verse 38, repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ, the mission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. No, she said, it's not in my Bible. They started on through, and they read every place they came to about baptism, and every time she'd say, it's not in my Bible. Finally, they saw they weren't making any headway. They said, let's see your Bible. She reached over there and pulled out an old worn-out book. Many years of use. They opened it up to Mark chapter 16, verse 16. And do y'all know what? She'd taken her scissors and clipped it out. They turned to Acts 2, verse 38. She'd clipped it out. Acts 22, verse 16, cut it out. Now people tell me, isn't that awful? Isn't that awful she'd cut the Bible up? You know, that's no worse than ignoring it. You can just ignore it, and that's the same thing. But I want to ask you something. When uh, Annie stands before Jesus Christ in judgment and the books are open, you know what the books are? The books are right here. The books are open, and they open it up to Mark 16, verse 16. It'll be there. It will be there. You can destroy the truth if you want to, but when it comes down to judgment, you're going to be judged by the truth, and it's going to be there. Uh, let's see if we can figure out um, 
a little bit more about Naaman. Uh, why is he so upset? Well, look on there again at verse 11, and I'm going to read it. But Naaman's wrought and went away and said, here it is, Behold, I thought. You couldn't believe the people I've had come to a gospel meeting and back at the back door they'll say, what do you think about such and such subject? And I say, well, uh, I'll preach on it tonight or I'll mention it tonight. And they all come in and sit down and when I get the opportunity, I preach on whatever they're talking about, but I just read it out of the Bible. Now, I want to tell you all a little secret I have. I preach the gospel of Christ out of the New Testament. If you get mad at it, you're not mad at me. You're mad at the Lord and the Lord's Word because that's what I'm reading, don't you see? So I thought, you know, here's an example of what was wrong with Naaman. Behold, I thought. When he got there, he had his own opinions. He had a preconceived ideas. He already had his mind made up. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. You know where faith comes from? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So our faith comes by hearing of the Word of God. Listen again, Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. God said, you don't think I, like I do. Don't try to think like I do. Uh, we don't, we're not here to question what the Lord says. He tells us we need to be baptized. What do we want to do? That's what we want to do. I've got a bunch of verses. I'm just going to read one more. Proverbs 14, verse 12. Listen to this one. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know, this way my mama taught me. That's the way daddy taught me. That's what my wife said. That's what my favorite preacher said. Well, you better check the way you're in. There is a way that seems right, but it ends in death. Be willing to check the way you're in. I encourage everybody in this audience. I'm not standing up here right now dispensing gospel pills. That's not what I do. What I do is, is I hope inspire you to go find out what the Bible says. Uh, let's see what Naaman's really got on his mind. He says, Behold, and I'm going to read this um, a little bit at a time so that we can get the impact of it. Behold, I thought he... Who is that? Well, that's Elisha. He will come out. He will surely come out to me and stand. Who's going to come out and stand? Elisha. And call on the name of the Lord his God. Call on the name of the Lord his God. And strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. I guess he hopes, thanks God, will recover the leper. Is anybody missing out of that scenario? Let's see. Between Elisha and between God, they're going to take care of him. Uh, he's, uh, what are you doing, Naaman? He's not doing anything, is he? Uh, he's expecting the prophet of God and God to cure him. You know, there's still people like that today. There are still people that some think some man can intercede for you. That can't happen. There are still people that think that somebody else can step up and answer for your sins. I heard about another little old lady. Now, in respect to all the little old ladies in the audience, I'm not sloughing off on you. This just happened to be the way these illustrations are. This is the third little old lady we were talking about. And this little old lady was sick and on her deathbed. And the doctor told her kinfolks, if you want it to do anything with 
your uh, kinfolks, you need to do it now because she's not going to last very long. So they got their clergyman to go up and see her. So the preacher came into her room and he's busying himself around her bed for this last rite he's going to do. And she's at herself. She raises up on her elbow and she says, Young man, who are you and what are you doing here? And he said, now don't get, don't get excited. He said, your, your family has sent me up here to pray your sins away. She looked a little confused. She said, young man, let me see your hands. He did like that. She said, no. There's been a mistake made somewhere. The only man who can pray my sins away has nail prints in his hands. Now what'd she know? She knew more about getting rid of her sins than this preacher did. She knew more about religion than her family did. She understood there was nobody intercede for her except Jesus Christ, her Savior. Nail prints in his hands. Now you see, it is possible for us to get deceived by that sort of a thing. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things uh, things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. What does he say? We're all going to stand before the judge and we're going to be judged. We're going to be judged on things which we've done, whether they're good or bad. Who's going to step in for you? Nobody. You have to answer for yourself. Think about that, if you will. And here's what you want to do. You want to be sure you're ready. Let's go again. This is a classic. And I guess that's why I like this so good. What's Naaman thinking about? Well, look at that verse 12. Naaman says, Are not Abania and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. What's he thinking about? He's thinking about a substitution. Uh, he's probably thinking about Jordan. In Bible days, Jordan was a roly, muddy, almost an opusur. All the cities up and down the banks of Jordan dumped a trash and a refuge into it. It wasn't the kind of place you'd like to go take a dip. And uh, he, he's uh, up maybe thinking about that. He doesn't want to go to Jordan. Up in uh, Syria, there's two little rivers up there, Abanyan Farpar. Now, these are the kind of rivers that I like to think about. Y'all got them down here in southern Missouri. All these little rivers, you know, running clear down over the rocks. You wouldn't mind to get in there and take a dip at all. But to get in the muddy Jordan, you know, that could be unsanitary. Might be unsanitary. He doesn't want to do that. Uh, aren't Abania and Farpar better than all the waters of Israel? Now I'm going to ask y'all something. Um, suppose he went back up to Syria and he picked one of those little rivers and he waded out in the river and dipped himself seven times. And he came up out of the water and what is he? He's a wet leper. That's all he is. How can you say that? Now listen, and this is probably the most important thing I've got to. Because God said. What did God say? Jordan. Yeah, but. No yeah, buts. We don't allow yeah, buts. What do you have to do? If you want to be cleansed, 
You've got to do what God says. Does anybody disagree with that? I've been preaching this lesson a long time. I've never had anybody disagree with that. They all understand that nothing else will work. But now think about it. Let's get, uh, let's get a little wisdom here. Uh, in water, water, sure. Water is water in Israel. Water is water in Assyria. Isn't dipping, dipping? Yeah, you can dip in Syria. You can dip in Israel. Isn't seven, seven? Funny thing about seven, seven, seven all over the world. Why won't it work? Because God said. That's why it won't work. God said Jordan, and nothing else will do. Now, we need to become acquainted with that today. I find this is something again, and I've given considerable thought to this. I cannot think of one requirement that God has made for man that man hasn't wanted to change. He hadn't tried to substitute for. You think that'll work today? I want to give you a couple of examples for this because it is something I don't like, you, like for you to think I just make up straw men and tear them up for your benefit. Uh, just as I said, about anything you can think about has been changed. For instance, baptism is either left off entirely or people sprinkle for baptism. Are they, uh, uh, baptism is something that they reserve for little babies. All of those things are changes to what the Bible says. Uh, you might notice tonight that we have no instrumental music. Why don't you have instrumental music? Well, because the Bible says in Colossians 3, verse 16, and Ephesians 5, verse 19, sing, make melody in your heart to the Lord. Sing with grace in your heart to the Lord. That's what we've done. Why do we do that? You know, piano might help y'all. That doesn't make any difference. God said, sing. Are you familiar with the word acapella? You probably think you are. You know what the word acapella means? Well, it means singing without an instrument. No, that's not what it means. Acapella means singing as done in the church. Now, that's a telling definition, isn't it? What is acapella singing? Singing as done in the church. That's what we do. Why do we do that? Because that's what God said. Yeah, but the Bible doesn't say you can't have a piano. Well, it doesn't, but we don't go by what the Bible doesn't say. We go by what it says. And what does it say? Sing. You're going to get yourself in some desperate trouble uh, if you think that you can change what God says or something that you think. The Bible allows us to understand in Matthew 15, verse 9, but in vain they do worship me, teach for a doctrine of commandments of men. You know where you have to get anything that you add to the Lord's house? You have to add it. Some man has to add it. What does that do? That makes your worship vain. And vain's a sad word if you've never had looked it up. Makes your worship vain. It is something which uh, will not work. I find again, this is something we need to be paying attention to. If uh, uh, you'll notice the things that the Bible teaches us are requirements. John uh, 4, verse 23, he allows us to understand they that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. How must I worship God? Well, I think this way is all right. No, you have to do it the way you must, the way God directs us. If we're going to be one, it's right in His sight. We're also forbidden to add to or to take from. Revelations, the last chapter, the next to the last two verses, says don't add to the things that are written in this book. If you do, I'll add unto you the plagues that are in this book. Don't take away from the things written in this book. If you do, I'll take your name out of the book of life. No additions, no subtractions. Why? That's what God said. 
And that's what we do in order to be according to his will. The psalmist said in the 19th Psalm, verse 13, O Lord, keep thy servant from presumptuous sin. You know what presumptuous sin is? It's thinking what you think is as good as what God said. Keep your servant from presumptuous sins. What you think is not as good as what God said. Well, there's one last idea. Naaman has got some people there with him uh, in his entourage, and they're a little bit more calm and a little wiser than Naaman. Let me look on down there, and we'll, we'll find out what's happening. I'm going to start down at verse 13. Now, I want you to notice how careful these servants are. They know who Naaman is, and they're careful about what they tell him. His servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had told thee some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then would he say to thee, Wash and be clean? Now they come around and, My father, that's a term of utmost respect. Uh, if he'd have told you something big to do, you'd have done that. Let's try this. Let's try it. Now let me tell you, this is a risk for Naaman. Suppose that he'd went down to the Jordan River, walked out there and dipped himself seven times, and turned around and walked out just as leprous as he was when he went in. He'd have been the laughing stock of the whole country by Monday morning. They'd have been snorting up their sleeves about that big shot from Syria that dipped himself in the muddy Jordan, hoping it'd cure leprosy. It takes some courage to do what God says. So he's going to have the courage to do it. Look a little bit further. Verse 14, Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like of the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. How did he get clean? He did what God told him to. Now, here it again. I have been told the only reason I preach baptism is because I uh, believe in water salvation. Or the only reason I teach baptism is I want to get acquainted with the minnows. Now, that's all right. I don't mind anybody saying that. Uh, you know what, you do, what you're dealing with when you're dealing with someone who's trying to make fun of what you're doing? You're dealing with someone who doesn't have any Bible for what he's doing, or he used the Bible. So he makes sport out of what you're doing. And that just lets you know you're probably right. And I find that's exactly what is happening here as far as they're concerned. Now, notice Naaman has nothing to look forward to except a slow and an agonizing death. Uh, he's going to go home and uh, tell his wife goodbye and kiss his children goodbye and set his business in order and die. That's what he's going to do. Except he's going to do what God said. He wades out there in the Jordan River. He dips himself seven times. And after that seventh dip, he came up again and he was clean. That's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that an amazing story? How's he clean? He did what God said. Let me read a couple of verses and I'll be done. Hebrews 5, verse 8 and 9, speaking of Jesus. But though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he made suffer that which he suffered, and being made perfect, 
he became the, eternal, the author of eternal salvation unto all them who obey him. Who's going to get salvation? All those who obey the Lord. Matthew 7 verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Now these people think they're religious. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, when I prophesied in thy name, in thy name cast out demons, in thy name done many wonderful works. And then he will say unto them, Depart from you that work iniquity, I never knew you. How come he never knew them? They never did do his will. It's not a matter of saying, Lord, Lord, you have to do his will. And I find that's expected out of each one of us. It takes some courage to step out. It takes some courage to do something which is uh, maybe not what you've always heard or maybe even always thought, but it's what God said. I'm ready to close. Is there somebody here tonight and you see the need to be baptized for the remission of your sins? May we assist you in doing that? I'll assure you of this, if you'll step forward and let us know that you want to obey the gospel and be baptized for the mission of your sins just as quickly as we can make arrangements. It'll be quickly because we understand you're not saved until you're baptized for the mission of sins. We will baptize you. And you know what? When you go off in that watery grave of baptism with nothing to look forward to but a slow and agonizing death, you can be baptized into Jesus Christ and walk out of there, listen, a new creature. If you haven't done that, this is your opportunity.